Well, this past Saturday, I was up at the uh, Eddie Hod City Football Academy for the stream of New York City FC against Hartford, the uh, exhibition finale with the opener coming up on Saturday. And I thought about it later, and it was my first time at the facility in nearly 17 months. So it was a delight to be there, be out in the open. It was a beautiful day. But what struck me is when I entered the building and walked past what used to be the media room, you'd talk to the players after practice, do your work. I looked inside, and it's a COVID testing room for the players with all the medical gear. So it's really a a, a stark reminder that COVID remains present uh, in our daily lives and has been a, a has had a massive impact uh, not only on the 2020 season but the up- upcoming 2021 year as well. So today, pleasure to uh, welcome a gentleman uh, who will talk us through a, a number of topics related to the club. A conversation with NYCFC president and CEO Brad Sims. Brad, what's happening? Glenn, thanks for having me. We're Zoom calling this because. You know, the impacts of COVID are still there. Well, you know, I saw you in Orangeburg on Saturday, but I was on the other side of the field and I wasn't, unfortunately, not allowed by protocols to get within 20 feet of you. I wish I could have that restriction all the time with you, even when we're done with COVID, but at least for for COVID, uh, you know, that. so don't take it personally. Um, You know, we just have to shout at each other when we see each other throughout the season. Very nice. That's not going to decrease the difficulty of the questions you. Uh, oh, okay, fair enough. This. All right. Well, yeah. well, well, let's let's start with the, the the schedule and Red Bull Arena. I, when the schedule was released, uh, there were a couple of things to note, and and very much COVID related. Thirty two games against the Eastern Conference, just two against the West, and of the seventeen home games, nine at Yankee Stadium in the Bronx, and then eight in Harrison, New Jersey. Uh, at Red Bull Arena. When considering the home venues, uh, why ultimately were there so many at Red Bull Arena? And I think City Field, we should bring them into the equation since they've been an alternate site, an alternate home site for New York City. Obviously, it wasn't our, wasn't our first choice. You know, we we're hoping to play as many games as possible and ideally all of our games at, at Yankee Stadium. Um, and just the way the, the season, the schedule, uh, you know, came out this year. For a number of reasons, just just wasn't wasn't in the cards. Um, you know, the the late start to the season, uh, the overlap with Major League Baseball, and uh, you know, when it was all said and done, this was a different year. MLS in the past, and I don't know for those who, who don't know, in the past, typically uh, how the schedule has been done is we get the we look at the Major League Baseball schedule, and we're able to find we're able to go through the schedule and find the windows where the Yankees are on the road, and we essentially give a schedule to Major League Major League Soccer and say here are the seventeen home games that, that work for us at Yankee Stadium. If we're lucky to even get 17, and what happens is, as, as every, I'm, I'm sure everyone's familiar, and you know, I, I became quickly familiar in my first year in 2019, that ends up you three games in eight days. You know, the Yankees go to the West Coast and you're jamming games in. I think in 2019, we went eight weeks without a home game. And then all of a sudden we had three games in eight days. And we had, we had that twice uh, because of just how the schedule worked out. And then, this, you know, this year, the league, and, and I understand why, and, and I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think every other league, every other soccer league in the world does it this way. Essentially had match, match day number one is on, you know, these two or three days. Match day number two is on these days. Match day number three, all the way through match day number 34. And let us know the, the um, availability of your facilities. Uh, you know, and so for us, 
of the 34 match days, there were only nine um, that were available at Yankee Stadium. And fortunately, the MLS gave us all nine of those um, dates, but that, there were only nine available. So we knew that we were going to have to find um, eight more. Uh, and, and for us, we, we talked about it internally, you know, the, the two uh, the two main options are City Field and, and Red Bull Arena. Internally, we wanted to go with the venue that we thought gave our team the best chance to win. Um, you know, kind of talking it through, you know, a big consideration was given to keeping, you know, keeping the players on a, on a similar schedule. Like, you know, the fewer amount of places, if you have to go to more than one place for your home venue, you'd rather have it be two than three. You'd rather have it be three than five. You know, one of the big considerations right off the bat was based on the regular season, October key games, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be playing three games in October, uh, three home games in October. And um, the second half of the season, the way it was set up mostly from a fan standpoint for, because of COVID uh, in the first kind of, 15 weeks of the season, there's only 11 total games, you know, in the, in the last, you know, 17 weeks of the season, there's 23 total games. So the games are stacked up in the, in the back end of the season. They're very important. Every game is going to be challenging, be key for us. Uh, and we knew right away, we would not be allowed to schedule games in October at city field uh, due to major league baseball playoff holds um, or Yankee stadium for that matter, obviously. So, so there was no, there was no option to get eight, dates at city field make it nine eight yankee stadium city Field. no absolutely yeah we knew that for we knew that right off the bat because of october right right in october and that's and unfortunately for us that's not just going to be a 2021 issue you know october is going to be an every year issue um you know kind of going forward until until we have our own stadium so although uh the, the supporters are certainly distressed by all this these matches at red bull arena if you look back you like you said you had to you give MLS, your 17 Yankee Stadium availabilities, and then they formulate a schedule, which ultimately puts you at a competitive disadvantage at times. For sure. Having two venues to split like this and maybe even out the schedule a little bit more, you know, has to be more on the uh, positive side competitively. I, I think it's positive competitively for sure. Uh, in And depending on what the two venues are, because we're going to have, it's, it's almost certain with the direction kind of scheduling is going that, that we're going to have to have split venues going forward. You know, depending on the venue, I would say that um, it's also better from a fan standpoint because going eight or 10 weeks without a home game is not good for fans. Um, and then having three in seven or eight days is also not good for fans. You know, we have we have a good amount of fans who are very upset and frustrated that, that we're that we would play games in Red Bull Arena. And, I, and, and we understand and, and and appreciate that. We also have fans who uh, who don't mind it. I know you are on record as being one being one of those. But but I, but I know that, you know, we had a survey in the preseason that went out to fans and we had of those surveyed almost two thirds of, of the fans said that they would. Um, attend one or more games uh, at Red Bull Arena if we were to play there. And, you know, and, and for our for our point, we said that for our fans, if if they don't want to come to Red Bull Arena, we, we get it. Um, and the games at Red Bull Arena are fully optional. And, and if, if someone decides I'm not going to any games at Red Bull Arena, they're not going to be charged. So we want to be um, as flexible and understanding to our fans as possible uh, and and understand that there, there are some that, that just, you know, logistically it doesn't make sense for them or, or philosophically, You've made some gains, obviously, because there was a point where Third Rail, your chief supporters group, put out a, a boycott for the first CCL match last year that was going to be hosted by New York City yeah. at Red Bull Arena. The, the next CCL game that was hosted at Red Bull Arena, uh, they dropped the boycott. During that time, you, were, you had discussed that there were other options that, uh, and not in New Jersey, 
that you felt were viable. Now I know that was for CCL yep. games. Uh, were there any of these options considered for the MLS regular games? Yeah, I mean, I think last year we we were very frustrated, or you know, we, we thought we thought that we had viable options. Um, you know, mo- most notably in in Brooklyn, uh, where the Brooklyn Cyclones play, uh, and at St. John's, where we where we've hosted U.S. Open Cup uh, matches is ultimately become, you know, parent uh, has been made very apparent to us, whether it's, you know, MLS or, or CONCACAF, that, that, that there's only certain types of venues that are, that are appropriate for matches of, of our caliber, matches of MLS and, and CONCACAF level caliber. You know, broadcast is, is a big driver of, of this. You know, obviously, um, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of revenue from a league standpoint and from a, and from a CONCACAF standpoint uh, in broadcasts deals and, and big partnerships with our broadcast partners and they want to part they want to be broadcasting matches from major league venues I, I get it you know we we we, we fought it <laughs> we fought it quite frankly hard uh, all the way to the to the very very kind of bitter end uh with the ccl venue scenario um but i get it this this is the deal going forward there's really only three venues in, in the greater new york area that are options for us it's yankee stadium City Field and Red Bull Arena, and I think that we, if we are a two-venue team, um, that that means that it's Yankee Stadium and Red Bull. And if we're a three-venue team, um, then you know Yankee Stadium is obviously our first choice to play as many games as possible. City Field would be our second choice to play as many games as possible there after Yankee Stadium, and then you know then I think Red Bull Arena would be uh, for games that we would not be able to schedule at, at one of those two venues. We're in conversation with New York City FC president and CEO Brad Sims. Uh, looking at tickets. In terms of home games right now, it's, that's going to change potentially from game to game, you know, for us. So, so for April right now, the New York, um, the, the kind of the capacity that, that's coming down from New York State is 20% capacity. Um, and for us within this kind of the soccer configuration at Yankee Stadium, um, we're looking at just over 6,000 seats in the bowl. Um, and then we can have another, you know, thousand or ish or, you know, or so in, in suites. Um, suites are at 50% capacity distanced out as, as well. But um, so essentially for us, we're selling mostly four and two seat pods. If you need more than four people, like six and up, then, then suites are, are great options uh, for, uh, for larger groups. So, yeah, I think, you know, all told, it'd be, you know, a little over 7,000 will be our, our capacity. And, you know, we, we fully anticipate that we'll be, at, we'll be at full capacity for April 24th. And then for May 15th game, um, you know, the hope is and the hope and the anticipation is that uh, there's more rela- relaxation of the capacity rules uh, within New York. And then hopefully there'll be a slightly larger uh, capacity for May. And then there's also discussion on whether or not there'll be any kind of uh, proof of uh, vaccination or, or negative COVID tests needed. Uh, that is the case for the first game. Uh, on April 24th. Uh, will any supporters be out in the left field bleachers? You mentioned the lower bowl or no? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, they will. Um, the, the bleachers are, are, are blocked off. So all the seats that uh, in the whole stadium for Yankee stadium that are not part of the seeing manifest get zip tied up. So you can't even actually physically sit in there. Can't do that. You can't, can't do that with bleachers. They have like tape and then they'll have, mo- you know, monitors. So essentially like here's two seats, here's four seats. I think the, the segue now is, and you're not going to escape a, a stadium question. That is a soccer-specific yeah. stadium question. And I know it's something you're asked about uh, all the time. Is there anything more you can tell us or, or tell the supporters who continue to be desperate for some news about this stadium? The first thing I say is th- thank you for continuing to support us. And, and this is just a challenge, you know, obviously an even more challenging year than we've ever had. Glenn, 
it's hard. I mean, it's hard. I've been part of five stadium and arena builds, you know, throughout my career and in various leagues and various sports and, and they've all been hard, um, you know, but nothing has been <laughs> close, close to as kind of as, as challenging as, as what I've seen uh, here in the New York market. And it's, it's really because it's just by far the most complex and real estate market there is in, in, in the United States at a minimum. And I'm sure I would imagine one of one of the most complex in, in the world. And, um, you know, the key is you got to you got to get the land and there's no and within the five boroughs of New York. There aren't just big parcels of land the size of a stadium sitting around open, flat, nothing on and ready to go with the for sale sign, you know, up. And if it was that easy, you know, it would have been done a long time ago. Ultimately, we're not going to have success if this isn't a uh, if there's not kind of a shared vision um, and alignment for the project as a whole with community leaders, community boards, local elected officials, that, that has to be something that where everyone's in, in alignment on board with. There's, there's obviously uh, a very public approval process that, that people are aware of in New York, ULERP, um, which is you know, a roughly you know, an 18 month you know, process. Once the land is assembled and, and we're able to kind of submit uh, submit the project. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, even though there's no deal. Yeah. Is there any pre-planning like that that can be done to expedite the construction oh, and that thing is signed? Like any, anything that you've done with the community? I, I mean, I was, at a, I was at a community event where there were some presentations. It's almost two years ago now where there yeah. was a gentleman, an architect that came in and this might've been before you were even there, Brad, but an architect came in and he had uh, done some work at Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And he admitted he was a Chelsea supporter. Part of that was they had built classrooms uh, for the community so that there was increased uh, space and rooms like that, you know, that sort of thing. So can you be yeah, I mean, more ready we, to go a, when yeah, it's announced? Yeah, well, I mean, we've had positive dialogue. You know, I've, I've said before that, you know, the, the dialogue that we've had with, you know, with community leaders has been, has been positive. It's given us reason for, for optimism, I think. You know, I've said before, it's a, it's a, we believe it's a transformative project for, for the South Bronx. And we believe everyone should be very excited about there's, there's a process to go through and there's, there's many people and, and groups that, that we need to have way in, that we want to have way in, that we want involved in the process. It, it's just, it's a process, you know, it's a process and, it, and it's not easy. Um, but, you know, ultimately we're, we're optimistic that, that we'll get there, but in terms of doing other work, yeah, there's, there's, you know, you have kind of the, the, the land, you know, assembly kind of work stream and you've got the, you know, the public approval process, you know, kind of work stream. And then you've got design and, and, um, you know, strat go to market strategy and, and business plan performa, you know, type, type work streams. And so, uh, you know, we've been advancing the ball on, on all of those. We can't really get going until the land assembly is, is complete. And, and then we can get into, you know, the public approval process, which is a great process. It's designed so that everyone can have a voice, that everyone's, you know, concerns and issues can, can be raised, that everyone can, uh, that everyone in the community, between the community boards, community uh, leaders, uh, the, the borough leaders, the, you know, the city and all the, all elected officials, everyone can have, can have a seat at the table to, to be able to participate in that, in that discussion and, and, and get us to a, a shared vision you know, to this point, we've been trying to do everything right to, to put ourselves in the best possible position for, for the um, project to succeed. So do you permit yourself to speculate at all? Let's just say something happens positive this year, during the course of yep. this year. Can you speculate what kind of time frame it would be for the stadium to be ready for use by New York City FC in the, uh, be the spring of what? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to speculate. We hope that we're close to, you know, to be able to, to 
start that the so-called clock. And, you know, as I shared with our shared to our fans, you know, we feel like once, once we enter the public approval process, it's, you know, roughly four years, you know, it's roughly 18 months for the Euler process and about 30 months to, from a, in terms of building, um, you know, kind of, you know, getting the site ready to build on uh, and, then, and then to actually, and actually for construction, add four years to, to whenever, whenever we can get started. And, and we, we hope right. that in 2021, if not, you know, we hope it's in 2022. Um, if not, you know, it's one of those things, like, obviously we're, we, we, we are, is, is eager and, and, and have the sense of urgency, you know, have every bit as much a sense of urgency as any of our fans do. I can assure everybody, you know, and this is where I think a misconception is a fan just think that, you know, money can solve everything or, or, or power or cloud. And that's just not, that's not the case. And, and it's not supposed to be the case uh, because this is a process that is going to be driven by the community um, and it should be. And so um, we're on their, we're on their timetable. They're not on our timetable. So I've coached uh, a majority of my life and I have this recurring dream that uh, I have a game and I just, I can't get to it. There, there, there's all these <laughs> obstacles and uh, you know, I don't have it every night, but it still happens every now and then. I'm wondering, do you have any, uh, I don't want to call them nightmares, but do you have any recurring dreams? Like you're looking over somebody's shoulder and they're just about ready to sign the contract and then you wake up and it hasn't happened. I, you know, my last project was in was in Cleveland. We did a, a, a transformation of the arena, similar to the kind of the project that was done at Madison Square Garden here, you know, 10 years ago or so, um, you know, brand, essentially rebuilding the arena from inside out, having a brand new facility when it's all said and done. And that was, that was uh, you know, much less you know, challenging uh, market and, and economy and, and times, you know, obviously than, than we are here now in, in New York City in 2021. And that project took 11 years um, from kind of the, the first time that, that it was introduced locally from on the city and county level to the time that it was completion. It, the, these things are, you know, take time. So I, you know, unfor- I guess fortunately slash unfortunately, you know, I've, I've been through these kind of processes before and I, and I, I kind of knew what to expect. And, and so I, I know I, I don't have, I don't have nightmares uh, about it. You know, I just, it's it just, it kind of taken stride. And again, we just do everything we can to put ourselves in the best possible position uh, for ultimate success. All right, Brad Sims with us, uh, President and CEO of New York City FC. I want to address the, the, the gradual decrease in season tickets. If we start with the first year, you know, we had the, the, the big name DPs, Via, Lampard, uh, Pirlo. And it seems like the, the, the drop-off has been precipitous since their departures. I'd like to add in and coordinate this question by saying, you know, when you're considering transfers, are, are you looking for one of those marquee guys because maybe that could impact the gate? It's no secret that I think that our our membership base is down from 2015. Um, you know, I, I, I will say that we're, we're very pleased that, you know, we, we've been able, you know, since kind of since I got here in 2019, I feel like we, we've been able to stabilize that base and we're in the process of growing it. We, you know, we're right now, projecting to, to have a you know, slightly higher full season base in 2021 than we did in 2019. And so, you know, it's kind of like we've, we've gotten to the point where, where we've, we've flattened and, and are now are, are turning the corner. Um, you know, that's, it's really driven by retention rates. It's, it's essentially a math, it's a math problem. Um, you know, and the, and the bigger your, your base is, um, the, the more challenging it is to, to keep it there because you have to, you have to renew at really high rates. And, and, you know, I've seen it across my career, you know, in every sport, you know, a new, a new franchise comes online as an expansion team, or you build a new, you know, a new facility and everyone's, you know, you're at very high rates. And then, you know, it, over time, the vast majority, you know, nine, nine out of every 10 
sports organizations across any sport that's in those situations over over a period of time, you know, it starts it starts drifting away because um, you know across all five you know major professional sports in in North America, on average each year season ticket bases renew at about eighty percent. You take NFL, NHL, NBA, MLS, um, Major League Baseball. You know, you're you're it's it's almost consistent over time. You know, it might be 78 one year, it might be 81 one year, it might be 79 one year, but pretty much, you know, 80% is, is, is the rate, you know? And so um, if you have, if you have 10,000 season ticket holders and you renew at 80%, it means, you know, we'll do some math here. It means you have to sell 2000 new season ticket holders just to stay even. But if you have 20,000 season ticket holders and you renew at 80%, that means you have to sell 4,000 new um, to, to stay even. And, you know, when the kind of the shine is off and and the novelty is wearing, you know, wearing off of either a new franchise or a, or a yeah, new facility or anything like that. Some 4,000 is, you know, in any sport, it's really challenging. So in the NBA, the kind of standard of excellence, uh, you know, and, and we had, we had league awards every year, big, you know, big conference with the league awards and, um, the standard of excellence for your season ticket base in NBA and NBA, and by the way, NBA is a preeminent league in the world in terms of business and how they operate their, their businesses. Uh, you know, if you had 10,000 season ticket dollar base, that was a measure of excellence. You won an award. You got a nice Tiffany statue <laughs> here at these award award for 10,000 uh, season tickets. If you sold 2000 new, that was, that was the award, you know, that was the, the standard for, for excellence. Uh, and then if you renewed it 90%, is you know, the average 80%, 90%, that, w- that was kind of the, the standard for, for excellence. That, and that, by the way, and if you use that math, that allows you to grow your base year over year. Because if you, if you had 10,000 and then you renewed it 90%, now you're down to 9,000 and then you add 2,000, now you move up to 11,000. So that's all, that, from a math problem, that's the only way you can, you can grow the base. Um, so, I, I, all this, I share all this because, you know, if, if NYCFC was in the NBA, we would be winning little Tiffany statuettes every year. <laughs> <laughs> for our, even now, even in 2021 for our, our base. And, you know, and that's a testament to our supporters, you know, and, and I think, you know, people want to talk about the narrative of, you know, we have a lower supporter base than we did in, in 2015, but guess what? It is still strong, like really strong. The vast majority of sports teams in North, North America would, would, would be happy to have. And, and like I said, in the NBA every year, you had probably a dozen or so teams that, that had 10,000 or more, um, you know, full season equivalents, season tickets. And so that, that was kind of rare air to be in. And, and, and we are in that club and, you know, we've had the two best years we've ever had as an organization. The last two years from 2019 to 2020, we retained 85% of city members um, from 2020 to 2021, we retained 93%. Um, and then that, that puts you in position to be able to grow. One of the reasons I mentioned it is there was such an emphasis by the league and the ownership during the CBA negotiations uh, regarding the money that the clubs lost because there's not a massive TV deal. So it's directly related to a loss at the gate. And that's why I mentioned the marquee player, you know, and yeah. where does that, how do you balance that off? Sure. We, know, we know Kuhn Aguero has been in the news. He would definitely put some fanny in the seats. I don't think there's any question. Probably. Yeah, I would think so. I, you know, I think that, you know, and this is something that we learned. There's a reason I think that there's a mis, you know, a common misperception um, out there and the, that maybe a lot of a lot of fans, not just our fans, but probably, you know, fans across the league that don't, you know, don't really understand the economics and, and how and, and how that works. Um, but, you know, for from our standpoint, it, it's challenging to, to make those kind of acquisitions make sense financially. 
the two biggest areas where, you know, people point out to me all the time is, is as you just said, you get more butts in the seats, you sell more tickets and, and you'll sell a ton of jerseys if you get, you know, kind of these marquee players. And I think what people don't understand is, you know, we only take home 67% of our gate, you know, the 33% of it goes to, to MLS as, as a league, league office. So when I was in the NBA, that was 6% um, was, was shared. So it's, uh, you know, 33% in MLS. And so, you know, we would take on 100% of, of the cost of the player, um, but only get 67% of the benefit of ticket sales. And of jersey sales, it's more like 14%. Um, you know, so it, it's, uh, you know, there, there's limited upside, you know, financially. It, it also, by the way, as we found out, doesn't even, tra- you know, not only does it not make sense financially in almost any scenario, and, and I'm telling you, like, in, you know, in almost any scenario at any of the other teams that, that, that are, are signing certain players, it, it, it doesn't make financial sense. But as we found, it also hasn't translated to being a, a major positive on the pitch. And actually, we perf- we we performed, but we've had more points per game average in 2019 and 2020 than we did in you know in the previous four seasons um, on average uh, when when we had one or more quote unquote big name DPS. That's where it's a double whammy. We're, we're the second we're the second best team in MLS. In the last two seasons, only one point behind LAFC. Um, we're the we're the best team in MLS over the last five years. Brad Sims, New York City FC president and CEO. I'm Glenn Crooks. This is on frame. Let's move on to some other subjects. Th- there has been talk, and it seems pretty legitimate. Uh, this discussion that MLS will have a reserve league. And so my question to you, uh, and that could be as soon as next season, what are the possibilities that NYCFC will be involved? Because when you, when you look over the years, one thing that's been, has stood out to me along the way is players like Justin Hack, uh, Luis Barraza. They, they simply don't have that second team where they can get the, the minutes that, that is necessary. I know Hack was loaned out to Hartford last year. Still, that would be, uh, that would be a big benefit uh, to the development of players. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, we're, we're excited. We've, we, you know, nothing has been formally announced yet by, by MLS, but, you know, we've been given indications that, that something is coming down the, coming down the pike here and we're all in, you know, if they, they do it, we've been looking, you know, we've been wanting that. I think that there's been over the last few years, there's been a lot of uncertainty over kind of what the model is going to look like for second teams going forward and where MLS kind of stands on that. And if they were going to maybe start, you know, start a, a, a league at, at some point. And, and for us, we didn't want to, you know, make the jump into another league or doing something different. And then all of a sudden now there's a new league that, and this is the place to be. And now we're, we're stuck over here. So we've been, we've been kind of following MLS's lead on that and it's looking promising, I believe. And, and, you know, if that, if there's, you know, if there's an MLS two or whatever it's going to be called, like, we, you know, we're, we're in, like we're going to be in and we, and we're going to see, uh, we, we feel like there's a ton of value. Um, and, and from a player development standpoint. Well, the next question would be, where will they play? But uh, let's go to the uh, Eddie Hodd City Football Academy. So easy to find stadiums in this market. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just put them in the new stadium in 2025. No problem, man. Huh? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, that we, we don't know. We're, we're vetting that now. That's, that's a work stream now that we're, we're looking at, you know, markets in and around kind of the greater New York area. Um, you know, we have we have a bunch of different markets that we think would be interesting in terms of um, a place to, to host a team. He's, he's not for us. We, we want it to be not only um, a you know player development tool, but, but also a, a commercial opportunity as well. So you know, that, that's the way we'll approach it. And 
Um, and we'll see, we'll, we'll, we're, we'll, we're looking for opportunities now. Um, but, you know, I think where you're going also is, what, you know, where not only where will they play games, but where will they train, you know, because you were just in Orangeburg, you know, this is, we got a, we got one pitch up there. We got one locker room. We, you know, we, it, it was a facility that was, that was built, you know, for the first team in mind. And uh, so that, that's something that, that we have been working on as well. Um, you know, is there, is there opportunity to expand on that site or do you think you might is. consider? Yeah, there is. There is. So we, we originally um, purchased, I think 17 acres up there and we've, we've only developed 10 of the 17. So there's, there is, uh, you know, opportunity there. Um, we're, we're exploring a lot of other options as well. Ideally, we would have at least some of our academy in the same facility as well. At least right. We're kind of academy boys. Um, I think, you know, the, our sporting department and our academy uh, group is of the mindset that the younger, you know, U12, the U14s, um, it, it really benefit from being in a central location right now. As, as many people know, they, we train at, at St. John's. Um, and so Queens is, is, is a pretty, pretty ideal uh, location from, you know, ge geographically speaking, the older ones that again, player pathway. And, and we've had, you know, we had, I think six, six of our academy, uh, academy players join the first team in Florida for training. I think three or four of them have, have stayed on and, and continued to train with the team uh, since they got back uh, to Orangeburg. I mean, it's just a huge developmental opportunity to, to be around and, and have that opportunity. So ideally we're, we're expanding, you know, we're expanding grounds, whether it's in Orangeburg or another location, but the vision of, you know, Maxime Cheneau, uh having a chance to have lunch with a U16 Academy kid, you know, that sort of interaction, it's not going to happen every day, but, but yeah. those, those facilities that are, are out there among uh, major league soccer teams, there's a real benefit to that. And really they, they've got an advantage in some ways. Absolutely. All right, Brad uh, Sims with us, uh, a couple of difficult topics here and, uh, it's it's things you've addressed, but I want to I want to bring it up uh, nonetheless. Uh, a number of years ago, and this is before you were around, uh, there were reports of fans with extreme views being in the stadium, and that included the Proud Boys. I know the club has taken steps, banning fans, uh, making statements in regard to the situation in the past. Just curious if there's any update for the club on, on that situation and any specifics you can offer that could assure fans that the the stadium is a safe environment for them. Yeah. I mean, I believe there's, you know, kind of a, a misconception here, you know, at least with, with where we are now with this, that, that I'd like to clear up, you know, first I'd like to make sure that we're very clear on, you know, from, from a club, you know, from a club values standpoint um, and, you know, and, and what, what we're all about. And, you know, I would just say, you know, we, we, as a club, we passionately, stand for inclusion and we celebrate diversity, social justice, equality, like all these things that, that those kind of people, the, the, you know, that they don't share those values. And, and, um, and for us, I would say very clearly, um, and, and we've, we made, we've made this, you know, made this, I've, I feel like we've made it clear before, but I want to make it, you know, clear again that, you know, that um, fans, partners, supporters, you know, anyone that, that is associated with the club, you know, we expect them to share, same kind of core values that, that we have as club and, and those that, that don't, and especially those that are diametrically opposed to some of those values, quite frankly, are not, are not welcome at the club. We're not welcome at our games. We're not welcome at our events. We have been over the last, at least the last two years or that I've been here, obviously we didn't have fans at, at events in 2020, but in, in 2019, I know we were and, and our plan is in, in 2021 and moving forward to be continue to be vigilant uh, about trying to ensure that we, you know, we don't have any 
white supremacist fans in our in our stands. We have people that are focused on on this, you know, from a security standpoint, whether it's physically in the stands and, and especially located in areas that that we've heard or, or seen that have been, you know, been that have ha- had been where some of these fans have, have sat in the past. Um, we have focus there. We have cameras that are on these areas, like every single game focus on it. And when we find fans that we know that are people that, that are, you know, have either broken a code, you know, the, the fan code of conduct or people that we know that are diametrically opposed to our core values, we remove them from the stadium. And, and in, in many cases, we have, we have banned those individuals and we will continue to do so. Um, I want to be clear on that. Now, having said that, you know, I think some of the miscon- misconception that's out there is that there are, are a lot of these people every game, that, you know, like if you didn't know better when, when I, you know, I started here and you start reading some of these things, you're like, are there hundreds? Are there do- like, do- like, what are these? And, you know, and, and in the 2019 season, right, right, you know, we're talking about a very, very small number uh, of people and only at a handful of games, not at every game. Um, and so this is not a, a, a safety problem. This is not, this is not a, a major issue. However, in our mind, you know, one of those fans is too many. And uh, Brad, another item off the field, uh, NYCFC made aware of allegations of sexual harassment within the club. Uh, that came out in a tweet by a former intern. That's how the club discovered it. Uh, she worked in the athletic training area. And the strongest allegations were against a, a former player, prominent player we mentioned before, earlier, you know, in our chat here, David Villa, you know, so disappointing to hear. He had an investigation. The club announced its findings uh, that a small number of players and staff did not act in accordance with the club's standards in their interactions with the intern and with other club staff. So I would just ask you, uh, is there anything you could express to the fan base, but especially to the women listening, some of whom may have had issues in their own work environment uh, to reassure them that NYCFC is a safe environment for female employees. Absolutely. Well, yeah, thank, thanks for bringing it up and giving me the opportunity to kind of share, share my thoughts on this one, because it's one that we have, have taken, couldn't possibly have taken more seriously from like the moment we found out about it, which, which I believe was in July. And from, from the moment we found out about it, really, you know, the focus was on, uh, you know, from, from my standpoint, is like, we, we got to find out immediately as soon as possible. Like there are three things we got to find out what actually happened, you know, find out like the truth of, of what actually happened, find out if, if anything like that is still happening or is, is there, you know, any kind of systemic issue. And then the third thing is like, how do we make sure nothing like that ever happens again? Um, and so th- those are the three things, you know, from my standpoint that, that we need to, to focus on. And we, I don't think we could have acted more swiftly or, or with more, you know, diligence uh, in the process. We talked to, you know, we talked to the former intern, we talked to all the people that were, you know, involved um, directly, but then, you know, it was expanded. Uh, the, the investigation, I think in total, they talked to well over 40 um, different individuals, past, present, uh, employees, players, coaches, you know, and, and we expanded, expanded it to other areas of, of the business operations as well, just to make sure that there wasn't anything kind of wider, again, wider, or more systemic issues, whether that's across the sporting group or across, um, you know, the the business group, uh, you know, of those 40 plus people, over 20 of them were female. So it was, it was a very, very detailed um, investigation lasting, you know, over four months. Uh, and, and ultimately, you know, the, the, you know, for, you know, unfortunately, you know, there, there were obviously things that occurred that we all, you know, wish hadn't, 
But fortunately, I would say on the on the other side was that there was no findings of any kind of systemic issue. These are things that happened in 2017, 18. We're, we're now in, it was 2020 when we found out that it was 2020, 21. Nothing, you know, was happening. In, in fact, you know, the the reports we got were quite the opposite, you know, and, and very, um, you know, from a, from a female standpoint and everything that the, the feedback that we heard um, directly and that the investigators heard directly was very positive about their experience or current experiences um, at the club, no kind of issues were, were found, um, you know, to be a, a wider systemic um, issue, you know, so from my standpoint, you know, that was welcome news. And then the ne- the focus goes on to um, how do we make sure that, that something like this never happens again? You, you can't, you can't go back and, and change and change the past, but you can, you can work on, on preventing takes from the past and, and making sure that things like that don't happen in, in the future. And so for us, that was, you know, a huge focus for us, continues to be a huge focus for us um, in terms of really education. I mean, that, that's really what you have to go through is, is, is an education piece, education with our, uh, our players, our staff, um, you know, doubling. You know, we were already doing more than the minimum uh, kind of requirement from a state standpoint in terms of, you know, trainings each year. And we've doubled, you know, the amount that we were doing before, you know, most of the stuff, you know, that is done with the players is actually that's, that's kind of collectively bargained and it's done through the players association. We got special, you know, requests and was granted for us to be able to utilize our, our trainers and do sessions with, with our players is right before the champions league uh, game in December. You know, another thing is just, is really, you know, talking to our staff and team members about the importance uh, of feeling safe and, and knowing the, knowing if something happens, you know, that we want them to share that, you know, they know where to go. They knew, know the right person or people or departments to, to turn to and, and share that information that's that's safe to do so. You know, in, in an unfortunate situation, we, we, you know, we've publicly and you know, personally apologized, um, you know, to, uh, to, to the former intern and, and, you know, we, we wish her the best. Well, Brad, uh, Brad Sims with this New York City FC uh, president, CEO, you know, last 13 months been very challenging times, but certainly some real positive developments uh, with your within the community and, and how uh, New York City FC contributed to all kinds of recovery projects. So I, I wonder if you could highlight a couple that really stood out to you. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, this is something obviously at the, at the club that we're all extremely proud of is, is a community work. And I think that, you know, we feel that um, you know, we, we are, we are the club in, in New York, uh, that, that really commits more of their time, effort, energy, focus, uh, investment into the community than, than any other, um, you know, professional sports team. And, you know, we've been acknowledged for that, whether that's, you know, winning MLS community team of the year, multiple times being, you know, being along with, I think the San Francisco 49ers, the only three time, uh, ESPN humanitarian team of the year, um, finalists and, and so, you know, there, there's a lot, and we don't do it for, we don't do it for awards. It's nice to be recognized for, for, for those things, but um, our, our, our group, our foundation city and the community has just, just done incredible work actually celebrating our 10 year anniversary this year. So, be, you know, the CITC existed in New York city before NYCFC did, um, which is, which is unbelievable um, as well. But uh, you know, some of the things even from the last year that, that, you know, was, was extremely proud about is just the response to COVID um, you know, immediately within, you know, I think, you know, days of, of kind of everything really going down, so to speak, from, from a COVID standpoint, uh, you know, we were partnering with, with the Yankees on, you know, $1.4 million COVID fund for game day workers, for, for staff that, that was going to 
lose out on wages because there were no Yankees or NYCFC games. Um, you know, our partnership with New York Common Pantry has been been incredible. I was actually just there um, in the Bronx uh, just last week, packing up meals, and you know, I've been able to do a number number of these um, opportunities uh, over over the last twelve months uh, with, with them as a as a key partner between us and 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 our and our partners and, and groups like Third Rail have been extremely supportive uh, of of the work that New York Common Pantry has done, which we're which we're very thankful for. Uh, we're we're well over 250,000 meals uh, accounted for um, and counting. Um, it wasn't you know kind of a one-time thing. We've been we've been supporting all throughout uh, the pandemic, both in terms of uh, financially value in kind and donation in hours of of, of uh, you know from our staff. In terms of service hours, we set a goal last year heading into the pandemic of, of 2,000 community service hours uh, from our from our full-time staff, which we surpassed. Uh, we've upped that goal to 2,500 hours in, in 2021. Um, these, again, just such a, a core value to everything we do. And then, you know, kind of the crowning jewel, uh, so to speak, of, of what we what we've been working on over the last five years, at least, is the New York City Soccer Initiative. You know, a, a commitment to build 50 mini pitches throughout the five boroughs and underserved communities, safe spaces for for kids to play um, in a five-year span. So, how many pitches are we up to? Yeah. So last year in a COVID year, we did seven. We were, supposed, we we're trying to do ten per year times five years to get to fifty. We did seven last year, which I still think is amazing that, that in, you know with all the challenges that a COVID year brought to to actually be able to to make that happen. So we're up to thirty-seven. Uh, with a commitment to do 13 this year to get us to, to get us to 50. And we'll have a, you know, a big celebration, hopefully in person with lots of people in person that we can celebrate, uh, you know, towards, towards the fall, um, you know, when, when we complete our, our 50th pitch. I could see this celebration, 50th pitch and new soccer stadium all at the same time. That'd be a great one. I would love that. Hey Brad, one more thing, and and again, a lot of this happened during the pandemic. The club uh, put out a, a series of uh, commitments on the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, and I remember we spoke, and you had admitted at the time, you know, that the club had some work to do in this area. Uh, so, can you can you update us on, on the process? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, very another thing that I'm I'm really proud of, you know, from from the year, and you know, just such a such a challenging year. Um, for so many, you know, even if you take you took COVID out of it, I mean, everything that went on in 2020 and, and unfortunately continues to go on and, and with tragic news that, you know, this week from, you know, from, once again, from Minnesota continues to be a reminder that there's there's so much work to continue to be done and something that this club is committed to um, in the long term because it's it's in complete alignment with with our core values. You know, I think um, a big part of us was 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 taking on and, and meeting st- making strategic partnerships in this area that where we can where we can really make an impact. You know, we early on in, in kind of midsummer we announced a, a you know a broad partnership with the Jackie Robinson Foundation, which is a national foundation, but they're based here in, in New York City. Um, they're working on a, on the Jackie Robinson Museum um, in, in Manhattan, which will be the first civil rights uh, museum uh, in in the city uh, that, that's due to be complete here in the in the near future. Um, we, with Jackie Robinson Foundation, we're doing a number of things, including um, fully funding a, a four-year scholarship for a Jackie Robinson scholar that will be based uh, here in the five boroughs. Um, and so the, you know, saying we're really focused on kind of the education space. Uh, we've taken on a partner with a company called Human Advantage, which is, has been a partner in, in a space to help us work through our, our kind of our starting 11 uh, commitments in, uh, in this space and kind of the social, social justice and equality space. 
we, we have an internal DEI council that continues to meet regularly to update um, and, and move move these commitments forward. Uh, you know, th- this year we we were able to kind of maneuver the schedule around at the last minute to, to be able to get a home match on Juneteenth, uh, which which we were excited about and we, that we really want to focus on to to be able to hold a, a equality match. Um, and so there, there'll be more uh, more more to come on that. But uh, but our June 19th uh, home game uh, will be will be a special one uh, this year from, from that standpoint. Um, you know, th- there's a bunch we're, we're, we're working on a mentorship program for, for black and, and, you know, people of color and, and female coaches, uh, to, to help, um, elevate and get more diversity in the coaching ranks, uh, in, in having scholarships for, for coaching badges, uh, on a going forward basis. And Brad, uh, you have a member of your first team. He's on the executive committee, black players for change, uh, and recently named captain of the team, and certainly appropriately so, the way he's led throughout all this, Sean Johnson. Yeah, fan- fantastic news for for the club. Um, you know, very very happy for Sean. I, I talked to him uh, right right after right after the announcement was made, and and he's he's really excited and proud to to be wearing the the captain's armband this year, and deservedly so. And we, we've been talking to Sean and and the Black Players for Change. Um, and also the the Black Women's Players Collective as well about a partnership. So I don't want to I'll tease that out a little bit as well. But but you know that, those are organizations that that uh, we're we're excited to work with going forward um, as well. And and obviously it's something that uh, is is very close to Sean, um, uh, and which 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 means it's something very close to NYCFC as a club. Uh, Sean, very deserving uh, captain, and uh, really excited for him. And for and for the year, you know, we've, we've got a great squad, and I think we we couldn't be more optimistic about uh, you know the direction the team's going in, and we have great flexibility um, going forward to continue to to add uh, to what we already feel is a very deep and a very strong team that that should be competing for the East. Well, Brad, I appreciate your candor, your openness, and um, really enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, that's Brad Sims, everybody, the uh, CEO and president of uh, the New York City Football Club. Brad, good luck with the start of the season. Thanks so much, Glenn. Appreciate it. We'll, We'll see you soon.